Sisters and brothers in Christ, grace and peace to you this evening from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ, who gave his own body and blood so that you would receive forgiveness of sins and with it salvation and new life. Amen. Today ends the season of Lent and begins what is known in the church as this big churchy word, the Trigidum or three days. Technically, the exchange of the liturgical season actually happens at sunset, but I don't think our Lord Christ will mind that we're starting a little early. In these three days, we enter into the high point of our Christian faith. We remember and rejoice in Christ's suffering, his death, his resurrection, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, Easter Vigil, and Easter Day make up these three days, and they flow seamlessly one into another, and together they reveal God's plan to rescue and redeem our fallen world through Christ's death on the cross and through his glorious resurrection. The word Monday has historically been used as a term to describe the rite of the foot washing that we hear from the Gospels at times from the Last Supper. Still others in traditions have associated the word Monday with the giving of alms during the week of Easter. In fact, the beggars would be called maunders. And still other traditions recognize that the word mande is derived from the Latin word mandatum, or mandate in English. And these traditions will recognize today as the day of remembrance of when Christ spoke, I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you, that we hear from the Gospel of John in chapter 13. But for us, Monday Thursday starts the story of Jesus' passion. The Garden of Gethsemane, Christ's impassioned prayer to God, the betrayal by Judas and his arrest in the garden, the courtyard with the high priests and appearing before Herod, Peter denying Christ three times, and finally the trial in front of Pontius Pilate, where sentence is given, crucified. Today, on this Monday, Thursday, we hear about the upper room, where Jesus is set to celebrate the Passover with his disciples, and in doing so, instituting the Lord's Supper. In the Gospel account that we've heard tonight from Luke, we get the sense that Jesus is fully prepared for what is to come. Some would want to argue that there is some kind of supernatural, divine knowledge of what's going on here, and they start to focus on the facts of that Jesus would know there was a room and a man with a jar and all those things, but it actually kind of takes us off of the point of the gospel story. This event is one that Jesus has anticipated for quite a while. He actually tells us these words. In fact, this is part of a plan that God set in motion well before this night in the upper room. In fact, God put this plan in motion before creation even existed. We can look to the beginning of the book of Genesis, or especially in the prologue to the Gospel of John, and understand that God had a plan from well before creation existed. This is not something new. It's exactly what God had planned all along. It's not a new covenant, but it's actually a fulfillment of the promise he had made long, long ago. In the text that we heard, it is very clear that Jesus knows what is going to happen. In truth, there are actually 
contrasting preparation stories in this Passover story. First, in the verses that precede our gospel text for tonight, we hear that Satan has taken a hold of Judas and that he goes to the chief priests and the scribes at the temple and confers with them on how he might betray Jesus. Conveniently, Judas's actions solved a great problem for the chief priests and the scribes. For they were trying to figure out how to kill him without doing it in front of a crowd. In Luke chapter 22, verse 6, we hear that they say that they were glad. They agreed to give him money. And so he consented and sought an opportunity to betray Christ to them. This was the Passover preparation of Judas, finding a way to betray Jesus. On the other hand, we have Jesus' own preparation for Passover, sending Peter and John into the city to the upper room where they would prepare the meal for the disciples. Luke lays out the timeline of this story from now the Feast of Unleavened Bread drew near to Judas' preparations. Then the day came for unleavened bread when Jesus instructs Peter and John to prepare for the Passover meal until now we hear and when the hour came. Jesus and the disciples are gathered around the table together. These two contrasting and conflicting preparation stories taking us from the days ahead to the day of Passover and now to the very hour itself. And here we are at the table, Jesus and Judas together. In verse 21, Jesus says, but see the one who betrays me is with me. His hand is on the table. Jesus knows. No matter what Judas has done to try and cover up his heart and what is behind it, Jesus knows. And here's the truly amazing thing in the face of such evil, an evil that seeks to destroy Jesus. Jesus does something very unexpected. Knowing what he does, Jesus does not amount some preemptive strike against Judas. He doesn't run away from Judas, nor does he turn the disciples toward him. No, Jesus actually does something much more radical. He gives his last will and testament. He gives it to those that sit at the table that are simultaneously heirs to this will and testament and simultaneously betrayers, those that would ultimately kill him. He gives them and us the Lord's Supper. But for any heir to receive their inheritance, the testator or the one making the will must die. The Lord's Supper instituted by the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed is rooted in the promise that we receive in baptism. For those that practice the Jewish tradition, the Passover was and still is about remembering what God had done so long ago. It is about God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt by the blood of the lamb which marked the doorposts and the lintel on their homes. All which we heard in the reading today from Exodus. Because of the blood of the lamb, the angel of death passes over their homes. And the firstborn of the Hebrews are spared, while the firstborn of all of Egypt is not. The freeing of God's people from slavery is what is remembered at Passover. 
But for those in Jesus Christ, who he now calls his disciples, he tells to remember him. This is not a historical remembering of an event that happened thousands of years ago, but is an event happening in our presence right now. There is a new deliverance and a new freedom that Jesus inaugurates in the Lord's Supper. There is a new lamb whose blood destroys the power of sin, the power of death and the devil in our world. It is all in Jesus who is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, the sin of all the world. It also takes away our failures, our betrayals. All these are heaped on the Lamb, and that is Jesus Christ who bears them all. But he does not come like the angel of death. He comes to us in a new form. Bread and wine, his very body and blood. Even as he tells us, this is my body which is given for you, do this for the remembrance of me. This cup that is poured out for you is the covenant in my blood. Jesus knows he's prepared to die for you. For the last six weeks, our fifth graders have been learning with their parents, along with their parents. They've had discussions and learned what it means to be a betrayer, a sinner in need of God's redeeming. They have learned about what our Lord Christ was doing for each of them when he instituted the Lord's Supper. And so tonight, they will take their first communion, and they will taste and feel God's promise present with them, for them. Jesus Christ came to die for each of you, and so that sin, death, and the devil has no say over you, only Christ does. So today begins the passion, Jesus' passion, which is actually about forgiveness. You are invited to come to the table which he has prepared and where he gives himself fully to you. Here at the Lord's Supper, we can bring nothing, nothing except our sin our failure, our betrayal in our lives. And Jesus Christ takes them from you and he takes them to the cross. And we lose these things, things which accuse, which separate us from God, which undermine God's promise for you and you're hearing it. And we receive from Jesus Christ new life, which is the forgiveness of sins peace which passes all understanding, hope that does not put us to shame because it is rooted in the one who gives himself to you here tonight with his body, his blood, and a promise. For Judas and for us, Jesus knows. He sees and knows you more than you know yourself. With certainty, we know that we are a sinful people. And we have fallen short of the glory of God. But today, through the work of the Holy Spirit, God has brought you here, where you are tonight, so that you may hear again this good news, this news that proclaims the certainty of your salvation. No longer a sinner, when you were made one in Jesus Christ through your baptism, you are known and acknowledged as a child of God, a beloved child, an heir in his royal family, and that is 
that your sins are forgiven and Christ took them from you in so much as that when God looks at him, he sees the only sinner. But when he looks at you, he sees his son, whom he loves dearly. And he bestows to you his loving favor in a new identity. A new identity in your hearing it tonight. Forgiven. This is happening right now. Today the Lord has prepared a place for you at his table, a place that is about forgiveness. And in receiving Jesus, he comes to you in his Holy Spirit, sealed by a promise that you are called children of God. And you can live in this identity. My body, my blood, for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. Amen.